0: Welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Exodus 20 today, if you want to turn there, Exodus 20. Well, back in 2013, Jessica and I began to date, and we had been dating for about a month at this time, and, and by dating, I mean we had been on a few dates. We, we tended to like each other. We seemed like we were getting along. We were talking on the phone every once in a while, and, and we were just kind of just letting it happen. We hadn't spent a lot of time talking about exactly what we were. We hadn't taken any time to define our relationship, and it all comes down to this one weekend in the middle of September where Jessica goes to a wedding. Now, men, if you're dating someone and your girlfriend goes to a wedding, just get ready like it's 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 coming right like there's going to be some kind of relationship talk after this so she's at a wedding and um, i can only imagine what they talked about jessica's like i met this new guy he's so handsome he's so smart i love him so much already i'll spend the rest of the she just wouldn't hush about it right I, I can only imagine that's what i think and she was going on about this stuff or talking and they were discussing her new relationship and and somebody asked her, so where's this going like are y'all together or are you not together and it it hit jessica we have not defined what we were we were dating or we were talking or we were something so she calls me from this wedding and, and we kind of do the pleasantries how's this going are you having fun and and then there's this awkward moment of silence and she goes um are you my boyfriend it's like second grade I was like i pfft sure. I guess. I don't know. And I don't know what the younger people call this. I'm at that age now where there are younger people. But my generation, we call this going Facebook official. And the reason for that is, is on social media, it has all this information. And you go in and you click in a relationship with so-and-so. And and it announces to everybody that you are with somebody. And so after having this discussion, we defined ourselves as Facebook official, boyfriend, girlfriend. Now, what that means is it's more than just telling people that we're dating. This means that we were exclusive like we are only going to date each other what I said to Jessica when I said yes to being her boyfriend it's almost like a weird proposal is like I'm going to focus on my relationship with you no more chasing other girls, because I was so good at that anyway. No more doing any of those other things. Like, it's, it's me and you, we're gonna see where this goes. We are exclusive with each other. And as we look at our relationship progressing, Jessica and I, years later, we stood on this stage and we made promises that said we're gonna be exclusive for the rest of our lives. Did you know that, that God defines his relationship with us as a marriage? He he defines his relationship with his people as him being the bridegroom and us being the bride. He, He defines us as his. And God wants to be exclusive with us forever Uh, we started a series last week called written in stone and and what we're doing is we're doing a deep dive on the 10 commandments i told a friend earlier this week it's like i took eight words out of the bible and i wrote a thousand word outline on it we are like going deep into the 10 commandments and we're going to try our best to see what god wants from us and what what i see in the first commandment that we're about to go over is is what god wants from you and i the first thing that he brings up he says i want to be exclusive with you No other girls, no other gods, just me and you. If you've got your Bibles, let's read here in chapter 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. So if you remember last week, we were talking about this moment where God had decided he was going to have a meeting with these people. They accepted the contract or the covenant of being his people, and they come to the mountain, and the mountain is billowing with smoke, and and thunder is rattling, and God speaks with an audible voice, and he defines the past. He said, "You, you guys know what I did for you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I did this, and now it's time to define our relationship. And so he says, I am the Lord. Now, remember, when you're looking in your Old Testament, when you see that word Lord capitalized, it was not originally written Lord. God did not say, I am the Lord. That is a placeholder for God's actual official name, Yahweh. You may have heard it called Jehovah. You can pronounce it both ways because the Hebrew doesn't translate here. But God comes to his people and says, with with a personal introduction, I am Yahweh. I am your God. Now, when, when he goes on and defines this, he uses the word God, the Hebrew word Elohim. And you're going to hear that word about a hundred times a day. Elohim is the word that he used, and we tend to look at the word God like it's a proper name. Like when I pray, I'll be like, "God, please do this," or when I talk about God, I'll be like, "God is doing so such amazing things." But but the word God used here is not his proper name. Not that it's as bad to use it as his proper name, but that's not what he's mean. The word Elohim depicts a being, a great being. But when you look at it in in the uh, in the original Hebrew, it's not it's not a name it's not I am the Lord call me God it is I am the Lord a supernatural being and it actually has a connotation of being a ruler so when God comes to his people he says I am Yahweh the supernatural being who rules over you and he defines that relationship of I am this and you are not. So he is a being who rules. And then after this, after he gives this possessive command, I am your God, I am your ruler, he begins to list the 10 commandments, the first of which we just read. So he comes to the first of these 10, and he begins with a very simple statement. We're Facebook official. If you're going to be my people, we are exclusive. No other girls, no other gods. It's you and mine. You shall, have no, you shall not have any other gods before me and as christians we tend to read the ten commandments and there's some that we struggle with like there's some of you in here like you're a klepto you're going to steal stuff that's just what you're going to do when you go to walmart there's some of you in here and you and you struggle with lust and there's some of you in here you struggle with jealousy and and wanting what other people have but as christians we're like we've got the i am god thing down right like there's only one god i don't have a tiki pole in my living room i don't worship buddha I don't worship some unnamed Hindu God. I've got the, the one and only God down. I, I am a servant of the real God, of Yahweh. Jessica and I have two things in our house that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve Yahweh. We tend to think we have this down, that we've got it figured out. Can we move on to commandment number two, please? But if you break down what God is really saying, I don't know if we have as good of a grasp on it as we think we do. If you break down what God says in this commandment, He says, Have no other gods before me. Now, in your Bible, if you look at where God introduces Himself, see, I just did it, I called Him by God as His name. If you look at to where He introduces Himself, You shall have no other God before me. It should be a capital G. Is that right? capital g right there but you come to the uh, first commandment and then you've got the word gods with a lowercase g right and we tend to talk about god capital g and god's lowercase g because that's the way that our bibles do that and what one of the ways that we in our culture honor god but guess what that word is in hebrew it is elohim It's the exact same word that God introduces himself. I am the Lord, your Elohim. And so here he says, have no other Elohims before me. Have no other rulers before me. Now God knew what he was about to do with these Israelites. He was about to take them on a journey that would eventually bring them to the promised land, a place called the land of Canaan. The problem with the land of Canaan is it was already inhabited by people called Canaanites. And Canaanites had their own religions. And God knew, God knew, there's gonna be this temptation for people to chase these other gods, to be drawn to these other gods and these idols and this culture. And he's reminding them, as you go out into the world, it's you and me. It's us we are exclusive he had this fear that they would choose something else to rule over them now, now let's think about this for just a second because as christians we should be doctrinally sound enough to know that there are no other gods right there's figments of man's imagination that we've carved into a rock or carved into a piece of wood but there's only one real god there's only there's only yahweh he is the creator he is the god there are, there are no others so my question of the scripture is how can how can we have other gods that rule over us you go carve a face in a piece of wood that thing doesn't talk it doesn't give you commands it doesn't rule over you it doesn't instruct you how is it that we can come to the point where these things can rule over us and why was God worried about us having other elohims other rulers over us why is that if you look at the Canaanite gods, each of these gods represented something. This is all pagan religions. Pagan religions had gods, and they would be the god of X and the God of Y and the God of Z. They all ruled over something different. So, for example, in the Canaanite religion, there was the, the goddess of war was Anat. And, and Anat was the soldiers would, would worship this god. If they were going out to conquer or build an empire, you, you might call Anat the, the goddess of power because it represented the power and the might of a country or a military. There were the god's Bell and Dagon and these were gods of fertile crops and and farmers would worship these particular gods because these were the gods that were going to bring about a good crop and a good harvest that they would sell and put good money in their good bank account. And so you might call Bell and you might call Dagon the gods of career. There was Asherah, which was the goddess of love, desire, and lust. And the followers of her, well, you can only imagine what they were interested in and so you might you might call her the goddess of sexuality a people that followed her looking for that to be what their god was there's the god yam who was the god of the sea and the river and the ports along the river which was the lifeline to people in the Middle East as as basically the superhighway you might call yam the god of materialism because that's how things get there and there's thousands more examples of these gods and they all represent something And what you begin to see when you study these gods is that people who worship these gods are not serving a being. They're serving their own desire that they've gave a name to and put a face to and personified. So when God tells the Israelites and when he tells us, be careful of who you worship, put me first, nothing else. He's not saying that there's some God out there, some being that can compete with me. What he's warning them against is there are figurines that represent your desires and your worldly lusts that you can worship and will rule over you. Our first take-home truth is this, is the first commandment is not aimed at who we should worship, or um, is not aimed at who we should not worship. It is aimed at what we should not worship. The word Elohim means ruler. And so as, as we study this, We don't ask the question do you have a buddha in your house or or is there a totem pole in your backyard we ask the question what rules over your life when it comes to having no other gods before our god and if you want to know the answer to that the truth is what we need to do is we need to look at what motivates our life daily do you have career aspirations are you the kind of person that shows up to work an hour early and and you stay an hour late and you're building your way up the chain you're trying to get to that next promotion or that next pay raise and you put all of this extra time in it but church is optional you you may find yourself serving the god of career I think that we see in our world that that Americans are drawn more and more and more into politics and we spend hours researching politicians and we spend hours listening to political pundits as they pump out hate and we spend time volunteering and helping campaign for the political candidate we want but we don't have time to lobby for God the same way we lobby for a career politician. Is it possible we're serving the God of politics? Every last one of us has things that we enjoy doing. What, what motivates you emotionally do you have a bigger high when a guy oh in a red jersey catches a football in the end zone than you do when you come to church and see God working do you live your life for the next golf match or or, or, or do we find pleasure in all of these hobbies fishing sports if, if so we may be worshiping the God of hobby you knew money was going to come up didn't you We'll take our money and we'll pour it into investment and everything. The stock market rises and we take money out of our bank account. And we say, we've got to find a way to make more money. We watch our 401ks and our IRAs and we, and we watch them go up. We check our bank account regularly. We calculate how much we're worth every week. But if we can do that and, we can't, and if we can't generously and joyfully give to the Lord, we probably worship the God of money and wealth. What, what what rules over you? Because there's thousands, thousands more. And you might say, well, Brian, those things don't sound like gods. Well, if they motivate you, then they rule over you. And, and if it helps you out because you think a god has to have a face, I got one for you. I stole this out of the Operation Christmas Child box. I'll put it back after service. That's all, all a desire needs to become a named god is a face and, and something that it rules over. So I could name this particular little animal. I could name this animal influence. And then all of a sudden, this is the God of power. I could name this little animal dollar bills, and it becomes the God of money or wealth. I could name anything that I wanted this and it could represent the God of what we already desire and so my question to us this morning as we look at this first commandment is shouldn't we take some time to look in the mirror and ask what rules over us what's our Elohim what truly is our God and then we ask ourselves again are we really as good at the first commandment as we think we are is God the only thing that really motivates you and really rules over you And then we get to thinking about that, and and that stabs us at the heart a little bit, so we get to thinking about the words, have no other gods before me. And you're like, aha, a loophole, right? God says it's okay to have those things as as long as he comes first, because he says, have no other gods before me. So as long as they're in line, but they're in line behind him, that's okay. As long as God's the main thing, then I can worship money on the side, or I can worship career on the side, or I can worship fame and social media presence on the side. As long as God's first and though most bibles translate it that way if you go back and look at the hebrew very literally what god says is you will have no other gods before my face that changes the meaning a little bit doesn't it because before us before me is like a linear pattern it's like a line what comes first in line but when you translate it as have no other gods before my face it takes on a whole new meaning It's not about what we put in front of God or what's first in line. It's about what's in the presence of God. I have this vision of of God sitting on his throne in all of his holiness and glory. And he sits there and and here I come walking by holding my God of money. My God of money, right? Right? My God, you have blessed me so much. Thank you for giving me the God of money. Thank you for all of the financial success I've had. Thank you that I have a million dollars in a bank account. Thank you for all of these things. God, you did this for me. And God says, "Are you going to give some of that to me?" And, well, no. I've got I got to make some more money. I'm going to invest this. You don't understand. This is this is just the start. So the stock market is going to help me get there. I got to think about retirement. But but thank you for blessing me. Are we walk in front of the throne of God? with our God with our God of career. It's like, God, I prayed for that promotion. You gave it to me. I've got, I'm making more money and stuff. And God, thank you so much for what you did for me. Oh yeah, I can't serve in church anymore. I'm too busy. You know, new responsibilities and this job requires me to be there on Sundays. And But God, God, thank you. Thank you for this. You did this. But I don't have time for you anymore because of this. That's how... God sees our other gods walking before him and what a disgraceful display that is for us to think of ourselves walking in the presence of God flaunting our false gods in front of him the gods of money and uh, fame and wealth the gods of career the gods of children the gods of influence and power the gods of our future whatever it may be and God defines, I opened, I opened this message up with an example of marriage. God defines our relationship with him as a marriage. That's what, he says, I am the bridegroom, and you and me, we're the bride. He defines it as marriage. As a matter of fact, human marriage points to the goodness of God. In Hosea, God tells his prophet to marry a prostitute. That way, every time she runs away and she finds somebody else that she wants to be with and she cheats on him, that he can feel the pain that God feels when we have other gods. That's the whole purpose of the book of Hosea is, is relaying that story of what it feels like to be cheated on again and again and again. That's what God says when we're not exclusive with him. Think of it this way. Let's say you've got a married couple and they've, they've been together for a while and the spark's just kind of gone. The husband's got a really pretty secretary at work. She's young, she's attractive, she's full of energy, all the things that he thinks his wife can't be after, after five kids and 20 years. And So he starts to have an affair with her. Imagine how his wife would feel at that moment when he realizes that. And she confronts him and says, you're with another woman? I thought I was your wife. I'm supposed to be your one and only. I'm supposed to be exclusive. And he goes, oh honey, you're still number One. You're my wife. She's just a girlfriend. It's not even on the same level. You're, you're, you're in front. You're coming before her. Don't worry about that. And that wife goes and crawls in the van for the next family vacation. She turns around and sitting in the back seat is that girlfriend. And she has to spend her whole vacation watching the husband flaunt this relationship with his new girlfriend in front of her while he flirts with her while they're out doing all of this stuff or reverse those roles. A woman thinks that her husband no longer is interested in her and she meets a young, good-looking man and, and starts to have an affair with him. And the husband finds out and, and he comes to her and he says, look, I, we've been married for like 25 years. I can't believe you would do this to me. And she goes, oh, honey, you're my husband. You're, you're number one. It's just, that's just extra. And the husband comes home one night and sitting at his table is the man that his wife is cheating on him with. And he has to sit there as his wife flaunts it in his face that she's found somebody else to love. That's what, that's what God talks about when he talks about having other gods before him. Actually, that's not a really good analogy. The analogy would be if the husband or wife that was being cheated on had to witness the bedroom. We'll just put it that way. And that's what God says to us, what it's like for him when we have other gods before him. But God, God doesn't want that. And you may be sitting here and what we love to do as humans, we're like, I'm gonna hide it from God. I'm gonna find somewhere, some little dark corner where he's at and, and then it won't be flaunting it in his face. I'll just kind of keep it over here in the darkness. Well, good luck with that because the whole world is before God's face. And so when God says, have no other gods before me, what he means is, I, wanna, I want you to put me first in everything. I want to be your first. I want to be your only. I want to be exclusive. I've got a picture coming up here, RB, of a of a <clears throat> athlete named Eric Liddell. He was a Scottish runner and he was invited to the 1924 Paris Olympics. They called him the Flying Scotsman, very devout Christian, and, and he worked all of his life. This is the Olympics. This isn't a high school track meet. He is at the Olympics and he's a hundred meter sprinter he's fast and he's heavily favored to win a gold medal and and as he gets there and he starts to register for the hundred meter thing he's going to compete to represent scotland he finds out something he finds out that the hundred meters is ran on sunday and so he carefully withdraws his name because of another commandment we're going to get to of keeping the sabbath holy now i don't want to get legalistic but i know in his heart how he honored god is he refused to run on sundays he refused to compete on sundays this is his chance this is the olympics you work your whole life to go to the olympics and then you still don't make it and he's here all he has to do is put his name on the line and he says no not on sunday i'll give it up you know why he did that because his god his Elohim, his ruler was not gold medals, nor was it his hobby of running, nor was it fame or fortune, nor was it what people would think of him. And he gave up his shot at winning a gold medal because he would rather serve God. He did find out that the 400 meter race was ran on Tuesday and so he registered for that. He wasn't a, a distance runner. It's a completely different kind of running. He was a sprinter and he's around these people that had conditioned their bodies for years to run the 400 meters as fast as they could but he put his name in anyway and he drew the worst starting position that you could get at. And there's this pacing that distance runners do where they start out slow and, they're in a, and they get a little faster in turn one and, and they sprint a little more in the straightaways and then they open it up, they save all their energy for that last run and they try to get themselves in a position where they can sprint and beat everybody else on that last sprint of that last leg of that journey. Eric little, little Liddell didn't know any of that. He thought, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna run and so he takes off running full out the second that he gets off the gate. And he realizes as he gets towards the end of the race that he's running out of steam. He has no more sprinting left and the people are coming up behind him, but he pushes as hard as he can. Not only did he win a gold medal, he set a world record at the Olympics in the 400 meters. And you know what he would tell you if you ask him about that? He said, I got that gold medal, not because I'm a great runner, but because God knew that he could be glorified in me. And I glorified God with that he returned to scotland a hero you win gold in the olympics you represent your country in the olympics especially in a country like scotland you are a hero you are never buying food again you have all the life that you want all of the fame and fortune that you want you know what he did when he got back to scotland he left and he went on a mission field in china only returning to scotland once in his life because fame and fortune and wealth, those were not his gods. His God was Yahweh, the one true God. What does it look like to have no other gods before our God? It looks like denying personal desire so that you can glorify him above glorifying yourself. And this is so important to God that this is the first thing he brings up. He says, you're going to be my people The first thing he brings up is, it's you and me. We're exclusive. No other gods, nothing else, just us. And he continues that thought in the second commandment. If you still got your Bibles open, we're still in chapter 20. This is verses 4 through 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God takes it a step farther. He says, don't have any other God. And he realizes that you and I and the Israelites will have this problem of falling into a trap where we carve an image of something and we begin to worship it. And he realizes that this is gonna draw us down the wrong road to where we will start to break the first commandment and be ruled by our desires instead of ruled by God. All a carved image is, take my teddy bear, it's just a visual representation. And sight is very strong for us. You ever been somewhere and thought you weren't hungry until you saw somebody else eating that steak? You ever thought, I don't eat dessert here until they bring out that, uh, that cast iron skillet cookie ice cream thing, you guys know what I'm talking about? Sight is very powerful and makes you want things. And God knew that we would be tempted to draw down into something that was a visual representation and follow false gods. And so this is what he says. He says, do not make for yourself false gods. I want to break that down a little bit more because I love what God's saying because we tend, to, we tend to put this as like commandment number two, no idols. But listen to what God said. Don't make for yourself false gods, carved images. The first part of that, the word make, tells me something that God is warning us against desire because if we're making something, it's because we want something. Creation comes when we want something new. We created the automobile because we were tired of riding smelly old horses. Sorry, Rick. Uh, You're not a horse. Rick's a horse person. That came out wrong. That's that's why we made the automobile. We create things when we have a lack of something. And so God knew that we would want to create things to match our desires. And what we say to God when we create false gods is we say that you are not meeting my desires. And let me just say as a side note, if that's true, if God's not meeting your desires, maybe your desires aren't godly. Uh, Second, is the concept of ownership. He says, for yourself, for yourself. Don't make gods for yourself. And so what people do when we make gods is we make gods for us. We make gods that we can own. We make a God that will serve us instead of a God that we will serve. And by the way, that's how all false gods start. That's how all sin starts, is we think I'm gonna rule over this, not let it rule over me. But we're drawn to the sense of owning a God, a God that represents a desire that we want whether it's lust, whether it's fame, whether it's financial security. And we make it thinking, I'm going to rule over it. But eventually those things begin to control us and control how we live. We want gods that will bow down to us instead of gods that we bow down to. Think back to those Canaanite gods. What did they all represent? They all represented something that humans want. And God knew if we ever got to the point where we had visual representations of something bad, some desire, some Elohim, some ruler, that, that we would be so hard to pull away from him. But have you ever thought of it this way? God chooses not to be worshiped through a visual representation we have no picture of God. Not a single person in here has a picture on their phone or has seen a drawing of what God really looks like. He has not revealed that to us. He doesn't give us that strong visual representation of him. Even, even God in human form as Jesus, we don't know what he looked like. Most of the paintings you see of Jesus are actually after a 14th century king who decided that he wanted his face painted on Jesus so that people would worship him. That's usually when you think of the face of Jesus, that's who you're thinking of. We, we don't know those things. And so God chooses not to be worshipped this way. And, and I wonder why. Because it would have been so easy for God to give us something to say, this is me, this is what I look like. Worship, bow down, find a place to gather around it. Why, why does God not say that? I wonder if there's a single thing on this earth that can contain the glory of God, whether it's a painting or a carving. I wonder if there's a single thing on this earth that can be everywhere, because our God is not confined to a space. He's across the whole earth. Maybe those are it. But you know what I think it is? We worship a God that we don't see. We worship a God that we feel. And we have to, we have to be connected to him. We have to be looking for those, those subtle hints and we have to be sensitive to his leading. That's not religion that's relationship I had somebody ask me this week they said have you figured out all of your daughter's different cries yet when she cries differently each time she needs something or each time her need isn't met have you figured out what each of those cries are and I said yes I've figured out those cries she does this cry when she's hungry she does this cry when she's mad she does this cry when she's cranky and that cry means I need to get off the couch and go check on her because she's hurt I know all of those cries because we have a relationship I know my daughter, and so I know her subtle differences and what she's doing and what it means. I know our God, and that's how he chooses for us to worship with him, is through a relationship. He wants us to know him and to be sensitive to him like we're sensitive to our kids and to our spouses and our brothers and sisters and our church family, sensitive to their needs. See, it's a relationship, and that is so much different than cold wood or hard stone. Our our next take home truth is that God chooses to be worshiped in a relationship. And so we see in these commandments, we tend to look at the 10 commandments and we think, oh, these 10 commandments are all about action. Do this, don't do that, don't be caught doing that. And it's very simple, very cut and dry. But what I see out of the first two commandments is it's not about action. It's about commitment. It's about a commitment in myself to say, what rules me? what is my Elohim, what is really my God, and making the personal choices to deny our desires and worship the true king. I love that God reveals his character to us in his Bible. He doesn't just say, I want you to do this. God reveals himself to us. He tells us how he feels. He lets us know what it does to him when we disobey him or when we choose other gods. He reveals his emotional state to you and me. The creator of the universe talks about his feelings with you. You know what he said about worshiping other gods? He said, I, I am a jealous God in our society the word jealous it it sounds bad it sounds negative right like it's some old high school boyfriend or girlfriend that that didn't get along with us or wanted all of our attention that's that's not the negative connotation is not what comes from God but what God says in this when he says I'm a jealous God he says I love you so much I refuse to share you I refuse to share your heart with a big house that's just rotting anyway. All of our houses are rotting where they stand. They won't be there in 50 years. I, I refuse to share you with a career at a place where you'll serve your entire life trying to work your way up the ladder and they'll forget your name a year after you quit. I refuse to share you with little green pieces of paper that don't actually mean anything because I love you that much. Over this last weekend, I I had the opportunity to go uh, camping with some friends, and and I'm an outdoorsman. I love it. And guys, we we had this amazing experience. I saw waterfalls. I stood on top of cliffs. We camped beside a a little lake, and the lake had otter in it. I spent yesterday morning eating breakfast watching a river otter play. And all of these things that I go out there and I say, how beautiful is it that God created that with his own hand, that he put that river right here to carve that rock, that he put those animals here, that he made the land where it would come this way, and that he grows all of these trees and he takes care of them. How awesome is that? And not a single bit of that stuff matters to God. As a matter of fact, I would argue that he put that here for me and you. Because you know what he wants? The only thing on this earth he cares about is me and you as human beings. And all he wants is what he deserves because he is worthy of our attention. If you've got a desire that's unmet, it's not because God is, is not looking at you, it's not because God doesn't care about you, it's because God ha- knows better than we do what we want. God takes care of us, God loves us, and he is worthy of our attention and our whole heart and everything. One of the top songs of 2014 was written by a guy named John Legend. You guys, you guys may have known him. If not, you've heard this song. It's really annoying. It, but it was a top song of 2014. It ended up being a Billboard charts number one. It sold more than 4.67 million copies. And he wrote it about a relationship. At this time, John Legend had just met his then fiance, now wife. And he wrote a song about what made their relationship special. And what made their relationship special was not just that, that, oh, we're together and I get to see you part of time, part of the time. Listen to the course of this song that he writes about their love. It says, because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me and I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning because I give you all of me and you give me all of you. So if worship is defined by a relationship and, and relationships are defined by giving all of ourselves to something, what is God asking of us? If he wants us to be exclusive, our last take home truth is this, is that God wants all of you. That's the heart of God, Live if you want to start making your way up here, is, is he wants all of you. He doesn't want part of you. He doesn't want you on Sunday mornings. He wants everything about you. He wants your brokenness. He wants your hurt. He wants your problems. And he wanted you bad enough that he gave us all of him, allowing himself to be crucified on a cross Dealing with agony because he wants us above all else. So what we're faced with this morning is what really is your God? What what really motivates you? Can can you say with all of your heart that I've given my all to God every day, all day? Or, or do we have some time during this reflection time where we need to go to God and just say, I'm sorry? You deserve more than I've been giving you and commit to him, God, you will be my number one and there isn't even a number two. Where's your heart at this morning?